Hello and welcome back to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes and subscribe in iTunes or add the show to your RSS feed in order to automatically get updates as soon as there are new episodes available. For more information, detailed show notes and links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. If you like what you hear and you feel like supporting the show, please give it a favorable review or rating in iTunes. This boosts the visibility of the show and helps other listeners to find it. And of course, if you know anybody out there who would be interested in listening to this kind of podcast, please do let them know. Um, Word of mouth remains the best way for me to grow the audience for the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, and you can also look for the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook. This is episode number nine for 12th of February 2018. Today's guest is the saxophonist, band leader, composer, arranger, um, all around musical person, <laughs> Bernard van Rossum. He uh, leads the BVR Flamenco Big Band, uh, which is a fascinating project that he'll tell well that we're going to talk about in just a moment but before we get to that let's hear a track from the bvr flamenco big band's latest album luth de luna this is the opening track of that album and it's called la gaviota Thank you. 
esta gitana cuando va a mostrar de nueva masa puso la andara que si ti cuando nos vimos por la carretera el lulero 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 Si hasta la agua que yo daba, te la tengo que pedir. Te la tengo que pedir. music from uh, Bernard van Rossum, my guest today. Bernard, thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure, Pat. Nice to be here. Um, so we just heard um, a piece from your latest big band record, Luthi Luna, um, which is the second record you've made with your flamenco big band. Um, well, first of all, I always like to ask my guests if they could introduce themselves a bit. Um, tell me who you are, where you come from, all that stuff, because... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, I am from Spain originally, from a place called Altea, mm -hmm. which is uh, in between Alicante and Valencia on the coast. And uh, my father is Dutch and my mother is English. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a... Hence the English accent. <laughs> hence the English accent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, quite European, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I came to study here about eight or nine years ago now, and I did my bachelor's at the conservatory yeah. of Amsterdam, and I did my master's there as well. And for my research pro project, I chose the topic of the big band and flamenco, so flamenco big band. Yeah. And that led to the creation and consolidation of my own project. Mm -hmm. uh, and it all fl flowed flowed flew flowed from yeah, there flowed from there. past yeah. tense of flowing yeah. from there so that's how the whole project started um yeah so uh, i've been he here ever since yeah. you know going back to spain quite regularly to play and so on um that's what i do i also have my own quartet i play mm -hmm. the saxophone and i play with other groups like uh, vuma levin a colleague of ours yeah. or veronon chatelain some other as yeah. a sideman as well yeah cool um so 
I mean, I've got a whole bunch of questions, but I think maybe the first and most obvious one is why big band? Like, it's such a... There are a few big bands out there that still survive, um, I suppose, but it's it's a very difficult thing to keep running and to, um, yeah, to sell and all that stuff. So what what is it about the big band that appealed so much to you? Um, uh, well, firstly, while I was... While I was studying uh, the bachelor in, mm-hmm. in jazz saxophone, I developed an interest for writing as well. So already during my bachelor, I was uh, taking some arranging lessons with Yuri Hanstra. He's the film yeah. uh, film uh, film composer department uh, yeah, head. teacher. Yeah. And uh, I already started arranging some stuff for uh, Nederlands Blasters Ensemble or for Richard oh, yeah. Ensemble. Different. So I was doing different. Um, uh, like uh, opdrachts, you know, different projects yeah. for people and so on. And I just really like the dimension of orchestrated music as opposed yeah. to, you know, smaller formats. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, I just got into arranging. And then for my master research that it, it was quite appealing to do something that included also the dimension of orchestrated music yeah. with as well jazz, you know, and improvisation mm-hmm. and the saxophone, etc. So that's how I stumbled upon... Um, the project of this chap called Perico Sambeati is a saxophone player uh, from yeah. Valencia, from the region where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And he made a very inspiring record to me, uh, which was, it's one of the few projects where flamenco is combined with big band. Yeah. And so I, I proceeded to study his music and interviewed him and so on. Mm. And I then arranged um, some of the music I already had for my quartet, uh, a bit in the flamenco jazz genre, I uh, arranged for big band and then slowly uh, did my own, got my own repertoire together, which yeah. we then, we took advantage of the, of the momentum and then we recorded it and then yeah. we started to get gigs, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, so that's how that started. And it wasn't an active decision of, Oh, let's do a big band. Cause I will make money. <laughs> yeah. Band. No, sure. You know, <laughs> but it, we, it's gone, it's gone all right. You know, yeah, we can't yeah. complain. And, um, yeah, it's, but I mean, logistically it's a nightmare mm-hmm. to organize and, uh, we, we're doing stuff, but I'm now also focusing on other stuff. I'm working a bit more with my quartet, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as long as you can keep it going, it's a really yeah. rewarding format to work with. Yeah, I suppose when you're when you're in school, it doesn't seem impossible because there are big bands. What is it? Two, three, four nights a week, there's a big band rehearsal at the conservatory. Yeah. You've got all the students you could possibly want to to fill your ranks and stuff. And I take it that's that's more or less the approach you took. Like the yeah. a lot of the the sections are colleagues from from study yeah. years, right? Yeah, that's the that's the time you want to be experimenting with stuff when yeah. you're at the conservatory because musicians of a relatively high level, as you know yourself, mm-hmm. are available. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, later on when people start having kids and a mortgage to pay, it gets more complicated <laughs> to yeah. to have people for gigs that, that don't pay a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's the way I did it in the beginning. And still, actually, yeah. you know, some of the guys in the big band, they have now graduated and, in fact, have kids and so on. Yeah. But they're still enthusiastic and we... But so you managed to maintain a more or less stable uh, yeah. lineup and stuff. Yeah, some people. It's like that Brian Adams song, no? Uh, Jimmy quit, Johnny got married, or something. I, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, so, but <laughs> he talks about you know the evolution of a band as people. Yeah. Are. So some Amsterdam is a place where people come and go, you mm-hmm. know. And yeah. uh, some of the some of the people left, but the core, which are these these flamenco people, which are quite important to yeah. so the singer and the the guitarist and the percussion and so on, they they are still here. And my rhythm section is still here, you know, yeah. Chavi, Torres, Joan Terol. Yeah. Um 
And some of the horns, they change as people come and go, but yeah. but they're still, I'm quite happy with the lineup still and great players available. Yeah, so maybe we can talk a bit about the, the actual flamenco artists involved because um, that's... I mean, that's something very unusual to hear, like at the acoustic guitar, the, the flamenco voice, all that stuff, the clapping, all these these different elements that you, you don't typically have. Like, how did you find these people? What is there a scene here for specifically mm. for flamenco music? Or There is a scene. It's not a very big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came across these people gradually. I was at the final exam of a harp player called uh, Rosa Maria okay. Diaz. Uh, she studied here ages ago yeah. and uh, there was this girl Maria Marin she was playing guitar actually and that's that's a girl who sings in the big band she's yeah. actually a classical guitarist yeah. and she's from Sevilla from Utrera which is mm-hmm. a sort of flamenco uh, nest sort of yeah. you know, um, and uh, I heard her sing and, and I went to speak to her and, and told her about the project and, and then that's how she became the, the singer mm-hmm. and uh, Ed Sarti is our guitarist She he played with her mm-hmm. so that's how he got into the band and uh, we've been switching with different percussionists uh, and Pablo also, you know, Pablo Martinez, yep. trombone sure. player. He's he's also singing some of the songs and doing some of the palmas, you know, the yep. clapping. So it's quite a small scene, uh, mm-hmm. actually. Um, we have now in our last album, for example, features some people from overseas. Yeah. Um, so we, we presented our, our last album in Spain this summer and we had some of these guys yeah. that actually were members of Paco de Lucia's group. Yeah. Um, so in Spain, there are there are more people available in Madrid or in, in Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, yeah, so I came across them here and it's quite a small scene, but they, they're amazing musicians, so yeah. I'm really happy with them. And so how do you how do you write with that in mind? Like, do they... I can imagine that from a jazz arranger's perspective, you know how to write for a horn section, you know what, you know, also how you communicate that to a jazz musician you give them a chart and they read it and that's how it is right um i hear some of like specifically the guitar playing on the record and i think this is clearly not notated or if it is it's very Mm. elaborate yeah um do you do you collaborate with them on that stuff do they bring stuff to the table and then you work with it or do you give them a framework to sort of improvise within or how how does that work yeah well it goes both ways it's sort of 50 50 Mm -hmm. so as you say a lot of it is improvised you could compare it to you know writing a jazz tune and having a solo section which you're obviously not going to write out yeah um so there's there's some interludes within the pieces themselves which Mm -hmm. are for what what you call the cuadro flamenco which is like the flamenco setup so guitar voice dance when we have a live show also yeah um so they have a a little moment for themselves into which they flow in and out, hopefully as organically as possible with the music. Um, So that is relatively open. Um, Usually they do something in a rhythm that fits the rhythm of the piece, you know. So when you talk about palos, they're the different rhythms. So maybe it's buleria or or tangos or solea. So then they'll do something within that time signature within the same key as well. Uh, And then there's parts that are based on... So rhythmically, for example, flamenco palace. So the stuff is written for the orchestra yeah. in the same rhythm. Um, also melodically, I try to, to mimic some of the stuff that goes on with the guitar or with the voice for the for the different horn sections. Um, uh, yeah, but they definitely, especially the guitarist, I've had some sessions with him where he says to me, listen, uh, do this more like this, because with a guitar, for example, if you write a melody thinking of a horn, mm-hmm. you don't have enough notes. 
So yeah. if you write da da da, he might say, "Why don't you write da 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 da?" Because yeah, yeah. that's how you know. Just by repeating the note, you yeah. get more of a presence with mm-hmm. an instrument that is not, you know, it's not a, it's not like an electric guitar where you have sustain and you have. So yeah. so yeah. So we had a lot of um, sort of interaction with him giving me feedback, um, and also with the voice. Certain melodies that I wrote are not very compatible with uh, flamenco singing yeah okay um and as you say a lot of the stuff is very it's sort of um it's not exactly diatonic so it's going in between yeah. you know it's uh melismas they're called in spanish i don't know what they're called in english yeah it's sort of a lot of um approach notes and like also in terms of the quality of the tone it's quite fascinating i find the yeah. um the choices that go on there so you I'm interested in what the what is the source material for all this stuff? Is it all like stuff that you write yourself with the flamenco in mind, or is there stuff that's literally taken from traditional music, or how does that work? Um, it's all original stuff, and then I try, um, for example, if if a particular composition is going in one direction rhythmically, mm-hmm. if I, might, I might then then I might listen. For example, there's one piece on the album. The title track is called Luz de Luna. And that's yeah. a, a rhythm. It's called tangos, which is nothing to do with Argentinian tango. Yeah. Uh, and um, so it's got like a, a sort of um, typical guitar accompaniment. Yeah. Uh, that's a very typical thing, which a, a, a more modern guitarist would try and move away from. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so... I would base a lot of the a lot of the stuff on that pattern, for example, on the on the harmonic progression of that. So I kind of look to examples to then try and integrate the stuff into my composition. Yeah. But the original material is yeah, it's from compositions I would write on the piano. Yeah. Or, yeah. Sometimes I've li- listened to stuff and then sort of got inspired and, yeah. and written stuff. Yeah. Cool. And then, um, I mean, I, I suppose the uh, the obvious next question maybe is. Um, because it's sung material, there has to be lyrics, right? Are you mm. writing the lyrics? Is, yes. Um, okay, cool. Um, and what? Um, how does the lyric writing go for you? I, as far as I understood, specifically the title track "Ruth de Luna" is is a has got a storyline to it and yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Um, so that relates us back to what I was telling you in the beginning, where I'm from. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a lot of our colleagues here from uh, warmer countries, they they ex- experience some sort of a frustration after many years in 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 these countries where there's less sun and where it rains all the time. It's a bit of a, it becomes a bit of an existential issue, you know, the weather. Yeah. You, I never thought so, but um, especially the light, you know. So whenever I go back to Spain, I'm always quite overwhelmed by by how life changes being somewhere where it's just so light, and you have yeah. to, you know. I forget living in Holland that, that you one has sunglasses. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, people just it just makes you a lot happier and warmer inside, and and yeah. um, and the colors <clears throat> colors are are different, you know, when there's when there's sunlight, especially uh, on the sea, for example, the the reflection of the sun or the moonlight on the sea, and that's what this uh, title track is about. It's about yeah. a, a love triangle between the sea and the sun and the moon, and um, it's a bit of a <clears throat> Like a telenovela, you know what that is? Like a, mm, uh, uh, what do you call? Do you mean a soap opera? Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like a soap, a soap <laughs> opera. Okay, because the the sea falls in love with the sun, but actually, when the sun disappears and the moonlight flickers on the water, that's when the uh, when the sea really kind of loses it. You know. Okay. Anyway, um, 
and then there's some other songs. There's a bolero, which is a love story, and then there's a uh, then there's a. Let me see what other songs I've got lyrics. Lejos de casa. That's a a piece more about sort of the recent um, immigration issues. You know, with the, with the whole thing in in um, Syria and so on. Yeah. Not not in a political activist way at all, but just yeah. as a, sort of inspired by all these poor people mm-hmm. having to uh, flee from their countries and so on. So yeah, different things. Yeah, uh, yeah. I write all the lyrics. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's. Uh, I honestly did not expect that that was going to be your answer somehow. Like, I, I, I sort of assume a saxophone player. When do saxophone players write lyrics? I mean, not that you shouldn't, but um, that's kind of interesting. Like, how did you get into the? What was the? Well, I, I, I had the, I had a singer. And yeah, <laughs> I wanted to give her the. Lyric. I could have also chosen to ask her, for example, yeah. or Pablo. He sings one of the songs. Yeah. yeah. Um, he sings a song on our first album, uh, which is called El Caprichoso Pincel. It's uh, the capricious paintbrush. Okay. It's about a paintbrush that only yeah. paints the colour he sees in your eyes. It's, it's quite romantic, <laughs> all of it, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, uh, I quite like it. It's, yeah. It's a different. It's not a comfort zone of uh, writing uh, harmonic progressions or melodies like that, but it's it's quite challenging. Yeah, I like it. No, that's 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 great. Um, so the you mentioned in passing, but we should probably um, focus a bit on that. You've got some really special guests on this record. Mm. Um, do you want to talk about them a bit, each of them? Yeah, sure. So one of them is Antonio Serrano, and yeah. he's a harmonica player. Uh, he played with Paco de Lucia group for years, and he's, I don't know how, I think like more than 300 collaborations on albums. He's the harmonica dude. If you yeah. hear a harmonica on an album, it's him. It's yeah. him. Uh, in Spain, at least, you know, yeah. in, in pop. And uh, he's got videos when he was, I think, six years old or something with Larry Adler uh, in the, in Paris. And anyways, um, and he's actually from the same, he's from Altea, my same hometown. Okay. Um, so I, I asked him for the project and, uh, yeah, it was great to record with him, especially, you know, with a big band where you have so many different textures and you mm. have the harmonica, which blends with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's really cool. It's like a cherry on the cake uh, yeah. And, and, and when I recorded with him, uh, you know, the songs where he does participate on, they do have an added dimension. Uh, I kind of missed him in the other songs sort of thing. But um, yeah. yeah, so I wanted to try it try out with that slightly unusual instrument, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know any other harmonica player here. No, I don't, yeah. You know, so um, yeah, and he's a total, yeah. I mean, apart from Virtuoso, just one of those guys that everything he does is uh, of the utmost musicality, you know, mm-hmm. um, you just can't, yeah, just the natural, you know, when you look at him, you're just completely uh, carried away. Yeah. Um, and the other one is a singer, a cantaor. He also was part of um, Paco de Lucia's band. He's called David de Jacoba. Yeah. And uh, yeah, also same thing, just an amazing uh, tonal quality to his singing, you know? Yeah. So uh, I, I wanted to have him on one of the songs, uh, Bolero, actually. Mm-hmm. And then on the first song as well, he sings a... Uh, Bulleria, like a little interlude we have again with uh, yeah. flamenco people. Uh, and then the last song on the album, or the one one before last song, that features Ben van Gelder. So that's yeah. a saxophone player whom you know, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah Dutch. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's from a different direction. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, you know, he, I really sort of saw his his way of playing, his concept for this particular song, yeah. which is a bit atmospheric and um, it's perhaps the least flamenco song on the album. So yeah, it's a bit of a mix of of uh, styles of guests, but um, yeah. yeah. How did you get in touch? I mean, uh, obviously Ben is somebody who's in the scene here, and we all sort of know him and 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 
um, is not that hard to reach, I suppose. But how, how do you get in touch with these, like, Paco de Lucia side men? Mm. Um, where's the connection there? Yeah, um, uh, via other people. That, um, Antonio Serrano, so I'd met him a few times in, in Altea. Mm-hmm. So I asked some, some colleague, um, also a, a colleague I studied with in Texas when I was at the University of North Texas. Mm-hmm. He's a pianist called Sergio Pamies, and uh, he recorded with him as well on his album. Okay. So I asked him... Uh, for his mail and so on, you know, for yeah. his email. And then we, we were in contact. And this other guy, David, as well, I got his number from Antonio Serrano because okay. they, yeah. they were together in the Paco de yeah, yeah. I think. And Ben, obviously, as you said, I know from yeah. here. Um, yeah, so that's that was the easy part, actually. And so the actual, like, what is the recording process like? Because, I mean, from the footage that I've seen, obviously Ben was in the studio with you guys because yeah. he recorded in Amsterdam, right? Yeah. Um, how did you, I, I presume you then overdub stuff with the other guys? Yeah. Um, yeah. I went to Madrid to overdub the stuff with the harmonica. Yeah. And then I wanted to go to, uh, Granada where, um, the singer David lives, mm-hmm. but that didn't work out in the end. So he overdubbed as well, which was quite an adventurous process. Yeah. Um, and then we, we put it all together. Yeah. Um, but I must say working in real time in the studio is a lot more comfortable than yeah, of course. there's all these variables you don't take into account, you know, when you mm-hmm. overdub. and So um, if possible, do things live. But yeah, if people are in different countries, yeah. I guess it's... Yeah, but but I'm happy with uh, the way it worked out. Yeah, it's yeah. quite seamless. I mean, it's... You would not necessarily know, but I suppose that's also the advantage of the big band format is that anyway, a lot of the material is arranged and, and so you're going to have... Yeah, more or less. You're going to perform what's on the page, and then somebody else is going to play on top of yeah. it. Um, yeah, that actually relating back to what you're saying about working with with different people of different genres, um, the flamenco music is, is is perhaps less a conservatory music than classical music and yeah. or, or jazz. You know, so sometimes flamenco musicians are not as used to other musicians and for you know reading or is this the right key for you that kind of stuff. So there can be surprises along the way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if anyone's ever involved with that, I do recommend being with the people uh, when <laughs> yeah. you do stuff. No, fair to enough. To anticipate, yeah. Uh, and so um, how was, how has the, um, how's the reception been for, for this music? Like what, what is the audience? Um, yeah. Have you found an audience and, and how do people receive it? Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the obvious answer. Yeah, no, I'm not I mean, going to say anything like else. that. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, but so, I mean, for example, what types of venues are you performing in, and how? Yeah. Um, well, in in Holland, we had quite a quite an intensive run last. Was it last year? Yeah. So we we sort of did went played in the Bim House, and we played in in a North Sea Jazz. That was 2015, I think. And then uh, you know all these sort of the festivals in Holland, Amersfoort yeah. Jazz and, and Jazz in Duke Town and Grachten Festival. Um, yeah, and it's it's. I think it works well for festivals because yeah. you know flamenco big band you 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 know it works in that way yeah um people know what they're going to get mm-hmm. and uh, live shows also we have dance so that also you know at a festival sometimes you have people not necessarily jazz nerds and, yeah. and that is also a visual dimension which appeals yeah. to people so it's quite it's, i think it's quite entertaining for people just yeah. literally as a, as a show to watch whether you are uh, very very informed about jazz or not yeah um so yeah, the audience. Yeah, I mean, I guess we always get standing ovations and all that. So I guess that's good. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's 
it's it's quite it's quite easy to 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 satisfy an audience. I think if you have so many people and you have so many different textures within the group, you, know, you have yeah. voice, you have guitar, and then you have a the spectacular bit of the big band. If you if mm. you uh, use that uh, effectively, um, and then the music is good, even though I say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely, and it, it seems to me like it's something that's both very unique and very familiar in in a way. Yeah, because it the format of it indeed. Uh, I mean, I was going to say everybody's seen a big band. Maybe everybody hasn't seen a big band. Probably most people haven't seen a big band. But um, but there is something certainly familiar there. And yet there's something, um, dare I say, exotic, um, just a bit of a silly word maybe, but um, which probably appeals. Um, yeah, you. so you, you just mentioned in passing that you involve dance occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Fomenko is... Um, very much dance based. How how has that come about? What does what does that look like when you perform with dancers? Uh, well, you'd have to see it to know what. I can't really <laughs> explain what it looks like. Yeah, uh, I can, but yeah. Um, uh, I try and integrate uh, dance moments within the music, so within a particular piece that, mm-hmm. where it can work, you know. Yeah. And then again, like I mentioned before, there are some moments where the dance is kind of isolated within an interlude, you know, within a piece, yeah. just with a flamenco piece. So similar, example. yeah, exactly. You yeah, have similar concept. Yeah. But there's some pieces where, where it really works well, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, again, it's a thing between styles where I learn from them and, 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 and vice versa. So maybe there's a piece which is in a in an odd time meter, you know, mm-hmm. or um, odd time signature, sorry. Yeah. And then so that, so it's not exactly traditional flamenco dance at all. Yeah. So we had one one uh, gig at the Bim House where we had Cristina Hall. She's an American dancer, actually, but she's mm-hmm. based in Sevilla. She's a bit more contemporary, perhaps. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that was really cool. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, ideally, I'd like to study a bit more about dance and how, so that I can write music a bit more... Um, consistently for, for, you know, with dance in mind rather than getting the dance to adapt to the music sort of thing. Yeah, sure. But yeah, it's a really, when we do a gig without dance, then you you can really, you feel a difference, you know? Yeah, yeah, It's really nice to have that dimension. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm interested in how, um, how the musicians, whether it be the flamenco musicians or the jazz musicians, how they relate to each other. Like how have you, do you feel like, um, I mean, I've interviewed a few people now about um, using more like folk uh, folklore from various places in their music and how people who are not from that background um, relate to it. Um, do you do you feel like it's something that, for example, your horn sections and, and rhythm section or whatever can relate to? Do you, is there any research they need to do or um, do, do you feel like it changes the way they play and stuff? Mm, maybe that's very that's vague. a good question it's a good i think it's more applicable to the rhythm section yeah you know because they the horns are sort of on the top of stuff you know like the icing on the cake but mm-hmm. the rhythm section especially drums for example and cajon yeah the, you know joan maybe he's, he's a jazz drummer and cajon yeah. player if, if he's uh, coming from flamenco they need to get sort things out you know yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so that it so that it works together and um but yeah, there's definitely they definitely are, I dare say, fascinated by each other. You know, when when the you know for maybe someone like Xavi, who's an amazing pianist, yeah. when he's he sees... been on the show before. But oh yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. yeah so when Xavi Torres, when he sees uh, Etzart, our guitarist, uh, doing something, you know, on his own, then it's a completely different vocabulary. You know, yeah, it's uh, completely different to the sort of things we use, and and vice versa. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, I think we we they definitely stimulate each other having the mm-hmm. different the different things, especially if there's dance as well. The the whole horn section is like with their mouth open, checking out what's, <laughs> what's going on. It's quite spectacular. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, stylistically, you come across things that you need to repeat. You know, like for example, horns laying back a lot horns that I used to playing in a traditional big band setting yeah. the, the the concept of time is different than you know if you play Latin music or flamenco music where you yeah. have, things have to be on the beat yeah. not lagging behind because it just doesn't work that kind yeah, of yeah, stuff yeah. okay um yeah different co- concepts of different ways of perceiving time I guess you know yeah. I think when, when you have a project with classical musicians you come across that as well yeah it's true whether where the beat exactly falls and so on but um yeah I'd say it's a good symbiosis yeah. yeah, I always find it interesting. I mean, I've in the past occasionally played some of your music and my feeling was always that there is a sense of there's just a very different form of groove that you need to figure out. Mm. Like if you're you can be playing something that objectively speaking is a straight kind of rhythm and yet it feels like an odd time signature and yeah. vice versa. Like there's it's a very different approach to playing uh, yeah. rhythm, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then, so yeah, harmonically, uh, I mean, I guess the obvious thing is the Phrygian thing, right? The, yeah. <laughs> but is um, is there more to it than that? Like how how does your composing, um, is it, first of all, maybe this is the, the first question that should come is like, what, is, are we actually dealing with Western harmony when, when, when dealing with traditional flamenco music? Like Western how, harmony? Yeah, I mean, is it, is it, I guess with a lot of folk music, it's not necessarily. Um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily relate to the way, say, Bach like right. conceived of harmony, right? Right, right. Um, it, or indeed the way Count Basie conceived yeah. of harmony. Like, do, do you? Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's well, weird... I'm, I mean, I'm not a super expert on flamenco, but um, yeah. it is. Western in the sense that it's so it, it's a temp, temperate, you call that yeah, temperate? Yeah, sure. Yeah. There's no uh, microtones or anything apart yeah. from what the, you know, the flexibility in the vocals. In, in the vocals yeah. or, um, and, and harmonically, I mean, the progressions are different. So you have the typical cadencia flamenca, which is the so if you're in E phrygian, for example, you go to the to A minor, G, F7, E. So you have that kind of descending progression, okay, yeah. which occurs all the time. And then you have a lot of you know, like you get in, in, in many folkloric musics, you get just a tonic dominant sort of movement, yeah. you know, um, release, tension, release. And that is the, in the Phrygian mode, the, the, the dominant is the second degree rather than the fifth degree, which you'd have yeah. in, a, in a major or major, con- uh, major or minor context. Mm-hmm. So if you're in E Phrygian, for example, you know, you have E, F, a lot of that thing going on. And, yeah. and often keys are related to the guitar. So you have a lot of stuff in E, you know, so you have open strings, yeah. A, which you wouldn't find so much playing standards, for example. Yeah, that's true. more in flat keys you know yeah. um so yeah there, there's um yeah uh but in my composition for example i integrate some some of so some of some of the pieces gravitate towards a phrygian key you know yeah. for a phrygian regu- resolution at least and some of them don't also yeah. not all the uh, palos in flamenco are phrygian yeah. alegrias for example is like a buleria but it's a major um, okay. rather than phrygian yeah yeah but yeah it's one of the characteristic things that, that you i that you identify flamenco with, isn't it? Yeah. Frigid mode, yeah. clapping. So I take time. it each of these different, like you just mentioned it now in passing, the idea of one of these, are these specific different dances that that have, 
you say alegrías. Yeah. That's what they call the different palos. Yeah. Palos. So the same way as we have, a, we can play a ballad or a medium swing or a yeah, bossa. Okay. You know? So yeah. you have different, you know, typically if you go to a flamenco recital or mm-hmm. you, you buy a flamenco album, it'll be a combination of different yeah. palos, you know, for contrast. So you have a fast, maybe the faster thing is a buleria, for example. Yeah. And then... Um, Solea por bulería is a lot slower, for example, or alegrías is then in major, or tangos is in four, or rumba is more from the... Some of these uh, palos are from what they call ida y vuelta, which means going and coming back from the colonial times, you know, when people went to Cuba and came back. So there are some some relationships between uh, rumba, for example, uh, Mm -hmm, which comes from Cuba, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, There's... Um, and we will get to other stuff than the big band stuff in a second, but, um, and maybe this is a good transitional point to make, but, um, you typically direct the orchestra, you stand in front of it and, um, you will have your saxophone there, but you don't necessarily, um, perform, um, on a constant basis. How Mm. do you experience that? Like, is it, um, is there any frustration at all there that they, no, absolutely not. Apart from the fact that when I pick up the saxophone, it's cold and it's always flat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's quite it's quite nice actually. I remember the first time we performed. That was my final exam uh, at the conservatory. Mm-hmm. It was my first experience in front of a band, sort of directing. Yeah. And then you have the audience behind you, so you it's quite nice. It's quite calming. You're just looking at your friends uh, oh, if you're yeah. lucky enough for them to be your friends. <laughs> and then uh, at some point you turn around and you see the audience, and then it's yeah, it's more it gives you more the ability to just focus I think because yeah. you know when you're looking at the audience you kind of get distracted sometimes mm-hmm. um, so I quite like it and um, having other people play your music is uh, and being able to direct that you know and, yeah. and, and direct it in, in a particular way I quite like it and I also like to to participate and play play a bit of the time but yeah. you know there are I have such amazing soloists in my band that I find it difficult to give myself any protagonism as modest as that might sound but yeah and, and also you know having contrast between you know i've got people like joao Driesen, uh, who's a very you know very a particular type of soloist and, yeah. and people or jasper van damme or chavi and um i just have a, a huge color palette to choose from you know yeah. um but i like to participate I, I don't know what the percentage is but maybe if we do a gig with six or seven songs i might play two or three you know yeah okay yeah yeah and so do you um I take it you didn't have any formal training in in like orchestra direction and stuff. No. Um, how um, did you have you learned that just from watching other people do it? And yeah, yeah. Well, with the with the big band, you don't. It's not you don't need to. Direct. You're not beating the measure of the concert. No, <laughs> yeah. you got the drummer to do that. Yeah. yeah so uh, yeah. in the beginning, I was. Which look, there's one or two videos out there. It was absolutely ridiculous. Just like yeah, the doing whole a time, four, just, four like as yeah, if, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. But I didn't know any better. So yeah, you can you can get away with uh, doing relatively little, just mm-hmm. giving people cues that they know when to come in, yep. dynamics, and you know when you have sections connecting, uh, rubato, all that. That's 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 what yeah. it's about. But yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a. I have a formal education as a, no. as a yeah band director, or that yeah. I need it to be honest. No, it's true. I mean, it it, it seems to be quite natural um, from where I'm standing. Yeah, um, what I see you do and stuff. Um. So. Uh, Talking of you uh, as a performer, not that standing in front of an orchestra isn't a performance, but um, maybe we should talk about your quartet music because okay. you 
do also um, perform quite a bit um, in a, well, standard saxophone quartet, I suppose, piano-based mm-hmm. drums. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, okay. So um, that is, my quartet is with uh, actually the same rhythm section as the big band. So mm-hmm. Joan Terol on the drums and Xavi Torres on the piano and uh, Marco Giannini. Yeah. On the bass. All people that are familiar to listeners of this show, yeah, I think. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. So um uh we've done actually we've played a lot more in Spain than we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've done about three tours in the last two years. Okay. The last one in September, about ten gigs on average, going sort of from Alicante in the south all the way to Bilbao in the north. Mm-hmm. And uh, I studied in Barcelona for six years. So I've got uh, we always play there, you know, Jambori yeah. and some of the clubs there. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I'm writing more music for that now. Uh, there used to be a sort of overlap between the big band stuff and the quartet stuff. Yeah. You know, doing some of the pieces, uh, flamenco jazz sort of pieces. But um, I've been trying to write different stuff now okay. for, for, for the for the quartet. Um, yeah, a bit more, I guess, I cannot, the flamenco stuff, you know, it's a bit, you have titles, some of the, one song is called Y tú ni siquiera lo sabes, and you don't even know, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a, uh, yeah, it's it's more. It appeals more to the perhaps the dramatic side of of things because of the nature of the music. And with my quartet, the last song I wrote is called "Tricycle Gangster," which is dedicated <laughs> to my two-year-old neighbor who goes up and down the street on his tricycle, <laughs> okay. and it looks like a hell's angel, but he's two. Yeah, uh, and it's a bit more playful, you know, and a bit of a a bit yeah. more groovy and yeah, a bit lighter in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a bit more interactive to to actually get something going with the guys I don't have to worry about 20 other musicians you yeah know? Uh, so we're gonna I'm planning to record maybe in May to yeah. try and make an album also with I'd also like to include some uh, some orchestration you know yeah um, maybe some a couple of things with with strings and a couple of things maybe with a, a vocalist or but I'm working on that at the moment yeah. yeah and we have some yeah we have some stuff coming up in Germany and also in Holland in April actually okay. some cool yeah. gigs yeah Nice. And um, any any stuff that you're doing as a sideman that you want to talk about? Yeah, actually, uh, what I mentioned before, Vuma, whom you know quite well. Yeah, Vuma the yeah. I'm hoping, I've said this before um, when talking to Xavi, that I'm hoping Vuma's going to be on the show yeah. sooner rather than later. He's yeah. obviously in South Africa most of the time, yeah. but yeah. I think he's in Europe at the moment, yeah. so we'll uh, hopefully get to yeah. talk to him. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's one of my favorite bands in uh, that I play in. Yeah. Um, and we have a gig in March, 16th of March in the Bim House. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, we'll be playing music from, we released two albums with Uma yeah. and he's bringing uh, new music, no doubt, challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a really, I really like his band. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And I dare to say he's actually influenced kind of the, some of the music I'm writing now. Yeah. Rhythmically, you know, he's got very, very elaborate rhythmic things going on. But again, not necessarily, not necessarily dense, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think, for the general listener, it's it's a nice mix between elaborate but you know followable. Yeah, you know and groovy, I mean. and it groovy, always has yeah. some, yeah, danceability. I don't know, like some sort of a relatable yeah. aspect to it. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, maybe. I guess um, we're we're reaching the end of this conversation, and I always like to ask my guests if there is um, something that you would like to recommend people check out. It doesn't necessarily have to be music related. It can be, you know, books, movies, um, anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's anything that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, musically related, mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to recommend uh, 
being a sax player, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Seamus Blake. Yeah. And his album, Superconductor, has various pieces uh, that are arranged for a larger format. You have people like Guillermo Klein doing some of the arranging. Oh, yeah. And it's, I think some of it's on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, really beautiful. You know, it's what I like, basically. You know, yeah. like a bit of orchestration, nice mm-hmm. ensembles, you know, with uh, with some strings and bass, clarinet, oboe, flute, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Superconductor, Seamus Blake. Superconductor, yeah, okay. really yeah. cool. And then um, I went to... Uh, Photo um, to this foam, which is yeah. a, a photo photo museum in photo Amsterdam. museum in Amsterdam, yeah. and they have a, a exposition on by Lucas Foglia. Yeah, right now mm-hmm. it's called Human Nature. Okay, and uh, I really enjoyed that as well. I don't know how long it's on for, but yeah, it's about the interaction between humans and nature, and you know how nature affects us and how we have affected nature. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be I'll be linking to that in the show notes so um yeah okay uh, assuming that uh, people are in the area they can hopefully go check yeah. that out yeah um bernard thanks so much for coming on the show pleasure um and uh i always tell people if uh if there's anything else that, i mean if and when this quartet album is ready and, and out there and you feel like coming back and talking about it um please be my guest again yeah okay cheers Pat. Cool. thanks Thanks for listening to my conversation with Bernard van Orsen. There'll be more music from his flamenco big band to be heard at the end of this show. Please go to soundofthemoment.com to find show notes and links to Bernard's website, that's bernardvanorsen.com, where you'll be able to buy his music. You can purchase um, both of his big band records over there that are both very beautiful and worth your time and money. And you will also find on his website um, details about his upcoming tour dates. If you're listening to this in real time, um, he will be, well, specifically, he'll be touring in Germany and the Netherlands throughout the month of April with his quartet. So if you happen to be in either of those countries and you would like to hear Bernard perform live, um, go to his website and check out his calendar. I think you might find a gig near you. I would like to thank my fellow members of Catrio for providing intro and outro music as every week, every two weeks. (laughs) And if you have any questions or comments, please um, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I am to be found at Pat Cleaver on Twitter and also um, you can contact me through the Salomon page on Facebook. As usual, the best way to support the show, if you're so inclined, is to add it to an RSS feed or subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher if uh, if you happen to use that app. And um, whichever app you use, if you go and give the show a favorable review or rating, that is very, very helpful and appreciated. And of course, if you don't want to deal with any of that technological nonsense, you can always just tell a friend about the show because word of mouth remains the best way for me to grow an audience for this show. I leave you with more music from Bernard von Rossum's flamenco big band, the BVR Flamenco Big Band. And this is the title track from their latest album. This one is called Luth de Luna. Thanks so much for listening. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.
acorpar a una de sus olas. Cree que el sol se enterará que con la luna brilla más tu color. Más allá del teno azul, tu mundo que para ti era salvar la luz de luna perseguir. Que la nube 